What a joy, what a privilege, truly. Amen, and thank you all for coming here today. If you don't know who I am, my name is Jeff Bartell, and I'm the current pastor of First Baptist Church, been here a little over nine years, and I'll be honest with you, when I first came here, I had no idea that I was walking into such a rich, rich history, and it is a privilege, and it is a joy. I am proud to be a part of this church with you all that has this rich history and legacy of God's faithfulness. There's a few things I want us to look at today from the scriptures. It just wouldn't be right if we didn't do that. And I want to start by introducing this just with a, a verse from the book of Deuteronomy in chapter number 32 and verse number 7 where the Lord says, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father and he will show thee thy elders and they will tell thee. Well, when I think about all the things that God has done in and through the people of this church over 160 years, it caused me to think about some things. And some questions came to my mind. And one of the questions that came to my mind as I was pondering this issue is, do churches have a life cycle? I mean, churches are born, they're planted, they're begun, they grow, they mature, and hopefully they actually reproduce. Uh, we know that the church is called the body of Christ. The question would be, do they have a life cycle? In other words, do churches grow old and die off? I mean, some do. But if we are the body of Jesus Christ, and if Jesus Christ's life is in us, then it should live forever. It should live forever. But we know that that's not always the case with local churches. We know that there are some churches that die off. They cease to exist. And I can't be sure as to exactly why that is, obviously, in all the different cases when such things happen. Maybe it's because those churches didn't change with the times in the right areas. Maybe it's because they didn't stand on certain things without changing. In other areas, some, some things should stay the same. And so I gave a simple title to our message today that some things change and some stay the same. Some things change and some things stay the same. As we look at our lives, we understand that, well, circumstances, they change all the time, don't they? And seemingly ever more rapidly in this day and time in which we live right now, you couldn't stop the changing of circumstances if you wanted to. But yet, principles, convictions, truth, they should never change. They should stand the same, the, the truth of, and the test of time, and they should stand the test. Our standards and our understanding of God and who he is and how he works, well, that should stand. And you know, it is a fact that God has faithfully sustained this church over multiple generations. And we are here enjoying the blessings of this church today because of the sacrificial service of so many of these wonderful saints of God that went before us to secure this privilege. 
of the things that you'll see out in the lobby that are on display on the right side as you exit is a, an enlargement of the actual handwritten original document that was in the notes of the archives of this church when this church was conceived. The very original document, and we have a typed translation next to it so you can actually read the handwriting. And it is phenomenal, the things that have happened. 1858. I pulled some of the things off that timeline that's out in the lobby just to get you thinking about it. You'll take a look at it as you go out there. 1858 is not only two years before Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War. 1858 is two years before somebody said, hey, let's put guys on horseback to deliver the mail. 1860. Um, First Baptist Church became a church before Minnesota became a state in 1858, later that year. Oregon in 1859, Kansas in 1861, West Virginia, 1863. 18 years before the invention of the telephone. Not, not the cell phone. <laughs> it was a thing on a wire and you stood next to a box with a horn coming out of it and, you, never mind. 21 years before the invention of the light bulb. 45 years before the Wright brothers took their first flight. And 50 years before the Model T Ford was released. That's when this church was instituted. That's when brothers and sisters came together and said, we need a Bible preaching church in New Philadelphia, Ohio. You think about the things that have changed throughout history and you fast forward to the time in which we live now and you'll see that it's just been in the last 30 years when somebody invented this thing we call the internet. It's only been 11 years ago when the first iPhone came out. Can you imagine? Only 11 years. Where would we be without our smartphones? And now, I mean, what are, we, what are we dealing with? Now, in history and science and development and technology, right, it's already going on. We have cloning. We have robotics. We have driverless vehicles. We have artificial intelligence. And people are dreaming ever more on new things that will be coming down the pike. First Baptist Church has been around for a long time. And yet, over the 160-year history, well... Some things have changed, absolutely. And one of the things that's changed is the pastors. Um, 160 years is a long time, but you know that on the wall you'll see that there's a list of all of the pastors of this church. 35 pastors of this church. If you do the math, that only works out to an average stay of only four and a half years per pastor. You know, in those early years, they were, I mean, they were clicking them off pretty quick. One year, two years, three years, and there was a a real high turnover in the early years. And then at the turn of the 20th century, there was a pastor named A.M. Ely. And he was the longest tenure pastor up till that time where he stayed in the pulpit for 16 years at the turn of the century, the 20th century. 
And then fast forward a, a, another rapid succession of pastors that kind of came and got, went and came and went and came and went. And the longest tenure pastor that this church has ever known has been a man by the name of Mark Trotter for 20 years at the turn of the 21st century. And yet, through all these things, we can look back and even in just the last 40 years, so when Pastor Harold was before Pastor Mark, he was here for about 10 years and I'm going on my 10th year and in the last 40 of the 160, we've only had three pastors. And I think that lends a little more stability. And I certainly don't understand all the reasons why there was such a high turnover of leaders in those earlier years, but I know this, God sustained the church. I know that. I know that back in those days in the 19th century, the times in which people lived were more stable in the sense of morality and being a God-fearing nation. Uh, I know that back in that time, this was the generation that was establishing our nation based on the principles of the Bible, based on the principles of religious freedom. Those were the days in the 1850s of what we now know as the Second Great Awakening, the Second Great American Revival Movement that came through the states, moving the revival from the New England states into the Midwest. That was the time when this church began. It came about 50 years after a very famous prayer meeting called the Haystack Prayer Meeting in Massachusetts, which had as its effect the starting of many new churches and the sending of missionaries all over the world. That was the impetus that came to lead people to do what they did here in Ohio. So pastors have changed. They come and they go. Something else that changed is associations. When this church began in 1858, it was not called First Baptist Church. It was called the First Regular Baptist Church. Now, if you don't know, the Regular Baptists is actually a denomination. That's a group of Baptists. And so they were the first regular Baptist church. And that lasted for 45 years until 1893 when they dropped the association with the regular Baptists and joined the group called the American Baptists. That lasted another 49 years until 1942. And in 1942, the switch was made to a new group called the Conservative Baptists. You're wondering, why are they doing all of this? Well, I don't know. They did it. And then 27 years after that, in 1969, they became Independent Baptists, which we are today. And with that switch to become Independent Baptists, they also switched the form of government of this church from being a committee-led church to a pastor-led church, which is a more biblical structure. Uh, this church has had different buildings, actually only two different buildings, which is amazing that they've had only two different buildings. But those things are change. Those are circumstances. Those are details. But you know what? Over our 160-year history, there are things that stayed the same. And you know what the first thing is that stayed the same, and most importantly, the Bible. The Bible has stayed the same. Do you know that in 1858, for the English-speaking people, there only was 
one Bible that was widely used among everybody out there who would be of a non-Catholic persuasion. And that would be the 1611 authorized version of your Bible. The old King James Bible was the only Bible that was out. And you know what? We still use that Bible today. We do it out of conviction. We do it for a reason. We do it because we believe that it is the Bible that God preserved for the English-speaking people. This is still the Philadelphian church age when this church started. This is the time that if you were to study in Revelation chapter 3, the Philadelphian church age, that that is the church that Jesus Christ says kept his word. They kept his word. And that was what we see happened at that time of history. And so First Baptist Church has kept that same word from 1858 until today, without apology and without compromise. And as long as I'm here, we'll continue to do that. And you know, since the Bible is the same, you know what else is the same? Well, the message preached from the Bible is the same. The gospel message that man is a sinner hopelessly and helplessly lost of his own accord. In such a situation that left to his own devices, there's no hope for man except for a lake of fire to pay the penalty for his own sins. If it weren't for a gracious, loving Savior who came to this earth and lived a sinless life and died on a cross and paid for our sins with his shed blood on the cross, we would have no hope of living eternally in fellowship with God. None whatsoever. That message has never changed. That message should never change. Amen? Every single man, woman, boy, and girl who singularly puts their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation will receive the free gift of eternal life. And everyone who ever has and everyone who ever will will receive that free gift of eternal life. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12 summarizes it pretty well, I think. There is neither, uh, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus Christ. And First Baptist Church has been a gospel-preaching, evangelistic church for 160 years. Can I stop here for just a second and ask you whether you're here for the very first time, or whether you've come many times, or whether you've come for quite some time, do you know for sure that if your life were to end today physically that you'd have a home in heaven? I mean, if you were to stand at the pearly gates in front of the Lord, and if he were to ask you this question, why should I let you in to my eternal kingdom? Do you know what you would answer? If you don't know the answer to that question, can I tell you that you can do it today? All you have to do is surrender your heart to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is confess your sins to Him. Recognize that you're a sinner. Recognize that He is the only name given under heaven whereby men may be saved. And call upon Him for your salvation and you too shall be saved. You can do that today. You can receive Him as your Savior. The message of the gospel has never changed at First Baptist Church. You know what else has never changed at First Baptist Church? The commitment to outreach. Uh, I couldn't take enough time to tell you about all the different things we learned searching the archives of ways that this church 
has, of course, not just with the individual members reaching out to their family and their friends and sharing the gospel. And we saw some of them in the video that we saw earlier. But ways that this church has systematically organized outreach into this community so that new people can come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. This church started the Christian bookstore that's in downtown New Philadelphia. This church started radio Bible programs to get the gospel out over that modern technology called radio. <laughs> this church started a Christian school. This church ran buses to bring people in, and we saw some of that already. And today, this church does many, many things to reach out to our community. Why? Because man is still in the same condition today that he's always been in, a sinner in need of a Savior. And we are given the commission to go and make disciples, not expect them to come. We are to go to them. And First Baptist Church has sustained for 160 years because of that commitment to continue to go and to preach the same message to people who need to hear it. You know what else has never changed over all the years of this church? A commitment to solid Bible teaching. That's never changed. So we've had God's word in our hand. We've understood the simple message of the gospel to all men that they, that they need a savior. We've understood that we've got to reach them and go out to them, but when you receive Christ as your savior, that's not the end, that's the beginning. That, those are just the first steps of your walk with the Lord. And you need to know how to walk with the Lord, and so we have committed, over all these years, the leadership has committed to teach you the principles of the scripture so that you yourself can know how to know the Lord and walk with him through his word. The idea that you can know when you come here on a Sunday morning, when you come here for a Bible study hour, when you come here in the middle of the week, when you come, when we have Bible teaching planned, you're going to be fed the Word of God. We're not bringing you human philosophy. We're not bringing you opinions and stories. We're going to tell you what thus saith the Lord. And you can then reason through what you think you need to do with what God says. But it's our job to bring to you what God said accurately in context so that you can make your decisions before the Lord. The fact that this is the case is proven and it continues and is consistent, proven by the growth of this church. When this church first started, there was just a handful of people. And now look at us. It has multiplied and it has grown to the point of spiritual reproduction. And that is another thing that has been consistent throughout the years that has not changed. And that's the fifth thing, the focus on missions and church planning. From the very outset, this church has been interested in and invested in starting new churches and sending people all around the world. As early as the 1870s, this church sent out and started a new church down in Eurexville. And then in the 1880s, another church was started in Peral. You have to fast forward a ways before they really got involved in missions because if you look at some of the information from our church back then, in the early days, um, you know, the, the offerings collected when we received an offering back then were, I think, a sum total of about 25 cents. And so it was probably a while before they could support missionaries, but in the 1960s, they actually sent a missionary, Marjorie Harstein, to Zambia, Africa, and began to support 15 other missionaries all around the globe. This church has had their focus in the right place. 
They've been willing to change in the areas that change, in the circumstances of life, but willing to not change in the things that are really the most important. How many churches get those wrong? Maybe that's why they have a life cycle. I don't know. But last year in this church, you, the membership of First Baptist Church, gave over $300,000 just to the missions program of First Baptist Church. Not counting the regular gifts. 300000 We continue to train people for vocational ministry through our in-house discipleship and Bible Institute program. And there are several families, even now, that are preparing themselves and planning to go and be sent out as pastors and missionaries in the very near future. It's an exciting place to be. It's an exciting church to be a part of. Some things change, but some things stay the same. Oh yeah, today we play different music, but we still worship in spirit and truth. Uh, We wear, except for today, different clothing styles. But I would venture to say that everybody is appropriate and modest. Uh, We may organize our services differently, but praise God, we still serve. Amen. So some things change. What I'd like to do is just take the next few minutes and illustrate this from the Old Testament book of Ezra. So if you've got your Bibles, you can look with me in the book of Ezra. It's about in the middle of your Bible, a little bit before the Psalms. And as you're looking to the book of Ezra, we're just going to do kind of an overview of the first six chapters. I'm just going to walk you through it fairly quickly. Some of you are already familiar with the story. Let me give you a running start of what God had been doing in the life of the nation of Israel up until this point in history. So most of you know that Israel is called literally the Son of God in Exodus chapter 4. They are the children of God in the Old Testament. They walked with God for hundreds of years. They had their share of ups and downs. They were slaves in Egypt. They ultimately were saved from Egypt by the blood of the Passover lamb. They were baptized in the Red Sea. They were given God's law on Mount Sinai. They walked through the wilderness for 40 years. Didn't have to take that long, but it did. They entered the promised land finally. And when they entered the promised land, they began to win many victories. They defeated many enemies. And as they began to get strong and settled and all the tribes took up their inheritance in the promised land, well, they did what is the tendency of all of us to do. When they thought things were going good, they didn't pay that much attention to the details and they began to fall away. They began to become idolatrous and disobedient. And what God did eventually at the end of a a long line of kings of a divided kingdom of Israel, God sent them into captivity under the nation of Assyria and then Babylon for a time span of 70 years. So literally, young people, it's like God took the nation of Israel, his child, and put them in a 70-year timeout until they would get the message they were supposed to get. But he promised that he would bring them out. He wasn't going to leave them in a room all that time, right? So he promised he'd bring them out. And 
So now is the time of Ezra, the first returning of the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem and find the city in shambles and to find that the temple is no longer there and to decide we are going to rebuild this city and we are going to rebuild the temple and we are going to reestablish worship of Jehovah God. They're getting right with God. So this is the story that we see leading up to the book of Ezra. And if you were to glance through, and we're not going to look at these in detail, in Ezra chapter 1, what we see is that Ezra gets permission from the king of Persia. The king of Persia would have been the king who ruled over the majority of the territories of the known world at that time, the most powerful man on the planet. He would have gotten permission from the king of Persia to go back to Jerusalem to build the temple. Chapter number 2 is simply a record of all of the names of the people that went with him to Jerusalem. And in chapter number 3, they got there, and the first thing they did was they offered sacrifices to God. And they decided to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. Representing God tabernacling, dwelling with man once again. So in Ezra chapter 3, I want to start reading in verse number 11. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men and that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people for the people shouted with a loud shout and the noise was heard afar off. So after 70 years they return. And some of the people that returned were of such an age that they remembered the old temple. And they're aware that it was completely destroyed. And they know they spent the majority of their life in captivity to a pagan foreign nation. And now they've returned and the foundation is laid and all those memories are stirred up again about all the things that God had done and the anticipation of all the things that God wants to continue to do going forward. And they couldn't discern whether it was weeping or whether it was shouting and it was just noise as people, the ancients, were rejoicing because of it. Now, maybe you're like me. Maybe you've only been around here a handful of years, and maybe you're like Wanda, and she's been here her whole life. And, but people like Wanda and Art and Carl and some of those we heard from, you know what? They can look back, and they can remember all the things that God was faithful to do. And like Israel, this church has had its ups and downs. It's had its troubles, but God has sustained and God has been faithful. And they can shed tears of joy. And they can rejoice and shout. Knowing that it will continue. And it will continue to go forward. You know what? When we think about these things. It's just a proof of God's faithfulness. It's a proof that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. God is a God who keeps his promises. 
and he continues to work today, just like he worked yesterday, just like he worked before another generation and before several generations. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his goals are the same for your life. That happened in chapter number three. Well, you wouldn't be surprised to find that in chapter number four, Satan shows up. What we have are adversaries. And we have people that come up against the building of God's house. Imagine that. And so what we have is Satan attacking God's people anytime God's people are trying to do something right. Anytime God's people are trying to connect with God and grow, you can be sure that the devil's going to try and stop it. He's going to try and stop it in your individual life. He's going to try and stop it in our corporate life. He doesn't like it. And the first thing that we see in Ezra chapter 4, the strategy that Satan uses is to infiltrate from within. He gets these pagan people and he gets them to offer to mix in with the Israelites to help them work together in the building of the temple. And the Israelites under the leadership of Ezra were smart enough to understand, no thank you. We don't want your help. We're going to do this ourselves. God gave us this to do. But that's always Satan's strategy. And it's always his first strategy because it's his most effective strategy. And that is to get wolves mixed in with the sheep. Get wolves mixed in with the sheep. So much so of a principle is this, that Paul said to the Ephesian elders in the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And notice verse 30, also, and here's the scary part, of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw disciples after them so count it not strange when those things happen be not surprised when those things happen because this is the movement of the devil this is what he does to try and hinder what the lord is doing infiltrate from within but when that didn't work with the children of israel then he went to the next strategy and that is to attack from without and that literally is just defined as any kind of external pressure, causing trouble, making accusations, literally bringing legal action against them, trying to force them to stop. Because the devil doesn't like it when we continue to serve the Lord faithfully, especially continually, for a long time. And I'm telling you, 160 years is a long time for one local church in the United States of America. It's a long time. So he's actively seeking to destroy what God's doing. He's sought to destroy this church many times through its history. Same tactics. Infiltrate from within. A lot of you are aware we recently survived such an attack. It would be my guess that every pastor had his share of such challenges that he had to deal with. And we certainly have had our troubles. But can I give you a principle of life that will help you today? Here's the principle. You ready? Time and truth go hand in hand. Time and truth get, go hand in hand. You say, I'm just not sure what's going on. Let me give you some good advice. Give it time. It'll prove itself. 
Just give it time. Don't be hasty to run off and think you got it all figured out today. If you're not sure what's going on, just give it time. Time and truth always walk together. Always walk together. Things may seem weird for a day. Listen, something that's lasted this long has something going on right. And the fact that this church is still standing here doing the same work that it began 160 years ago is a testament to the faithfulness of our Lord and of His people that have believed Him and served Him and stuck by the stuff through thick and thin. Well, in the story of Ezra, it, chapter 4 doesn't end very well because ultimately they, they brought physical force against them and the people became weary and they ultimately laid down their tools and they stopped working. They stopped continuing to build the house of the Lord. But you know what? God stepped in to help them. And what we see in Ezra chapter 5 is that straight, hard preaching of God's word motivates people to continue to work for the Lord. Ezra 5 and verse number 1. After the work had ceased for some time, it says, Then the prophets Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them, then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedek, and began to build the house of the Lord, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God, helping them. You may not always appreciate it every single day, but the straight preaching of God's word helps you continue to do the work of the Lord. It helps you continue to do the work of the Lord. And that's what we see in Ezra chapter 5. So in the life of Israel, certainly certain things had changed, right? Circumstances, locations. But some things stayed the same. And once they got back to the place where they could worship in the temple, you know what they did? They did all the right things that they were supposed to do. And the right things that they were supposed to do are the right things that we need to continue to do. Let me finish with Ezra chapter 6 and we'll be done. Ezra chapter 6, starting in verse number 1, it says, Then Darius the king made a decree, and search was made in the house of the rolls where the treasure was laid up in Babylon. And there was found at Akmetha, in the place that is in the province of the Medes, a roll, and therein was a record thus written. You know what we see in verses 1 and 2? That the authority for the work that the people of God are to do comes from a written record from the king. And the king who is the king of all kings, who physically back in that day would have been Darius, the king of the Persians, the king of all the kings of that day in an earthly context. Our authority has to come from God's written record. Go on in verse number 3. In the first year of Cyrus, the king the same Cyrus king made a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be builded, the place where they offered sacrifices, and let the foundations thereof be strongly laid, the height thereof threescore cubits, and the breadth thereof threescore cubits. So now the foundation is laid, and they're going to build upon the house. So the first work, once we get our marching orders from the written record, is to do the work of evangelism. We've been studying in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And in verses 10 and 11, we see that there is no other foundation that anyone can lay than that is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. And then we are to build upon that foundation as a wise master builder. And we're to build upon that foundation gold, silver, and precious stones. So the first work is the work of evangelism, and the next work is the work of discipleship. It is edification. It is building upon 
that foundation. Back to Ezra chapter 6 and verse number 4. With three rows of great stones and a row of new timber, let the expenses be given out of the king's house. So God's work is to be financed by God's house. That means through his people. According to 1 Timothy chapter 3, the house of God is the church of the living God. And we are to be a giving people to facilitate the continued building up of the church of God. And in verse number 5 of Ezra chapter 6, And also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took forth out of the temple, which is at Jerusalem, and brought into Babylon, be restored, and brought again unto the temple, which is at Jerusalem, everyone to his place, and place them in the house of God. Because the ultimate goal of obeying the authority and doing the work of evangelism and discipleship is to build again the house of God, which is the church of the living God, with the mindset of restoration. You could go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 12, and you can see that there are believers are likened unto these vessels. Some are vessels unto honor, some are vessels unto dishonor. But what God did with them is he restored the vessels that were stolen and taken by Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, and he brought them back and restored them to their rightful place in the house of worship. And I don't know where you're at in your life today, and I'm not sure, I don't know why the circumstances are that you came here today. Maybe you come here every week. Maybe you're just here for this Sunday. I don't know. I'm glad you're all here. But maybe God brought you here because you need to be restored. Maybe God brought you here because in the past you've understood the truth. You've walked in the light. You've done the right things. But something has happened. And somebody stole you away. And you have found yourself in a pagan house for too long. And it's time to be restored. It's time to bring it back. And the invitation for you today, if that's you, is just to surrender your heart afresh and decide, I'm going I'm to come back home. I'm going to come back where I belong and I'm going to get right with God and I'm going to get right with his house and I'm going to be a vessel unto honor of gold and of silver and of precious stones. Today we've taken time to honor those that have come before us and we remember their labor and their sacrifice. But you know what else we do? We commit ourselves to continue to do this good work of the Lord. We look forward to many more years of fruitful service. We anticipate a continued, long, healthy life until the Lord returns, serving Him, producing fruit. And if you would like to join us in this work, if you have not already done so, then let me invite you just to make that commitment today. Maybe you need to surrender your heart to Him in salvation and just cry out to Him for forgiveness. He understands you. He speaks your language. He'll respond to you. Maybe you just need to rededicate your life and re-surrender your life to follow him again. Maybe you just need to come and you want to be a part of this church through baptism and membership and those kind of things. Man, just let us know about that. And we want to help you do that as well. But I'd like for you to stand with me and I'd like for us to pray. And we're going to go to the Lord and just commit our hearts to him. And we'll have one last worship song. Let's pray together.